What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is Friday, May 13th, 2022. As always, I'm your host, The Pody. I want to thank you all for tuning in to another brand new milestone episode of This Week in Sports. It is the big 170. That's right, episode 170. Woo! All right, so um, we've got NHL playoffs, we've got NBA playoffs, we've got game sevens, we've got game sixes, you name it. it it's crazy. There's baseball, there's this, there's that. We're almost in the home stretch of, of the end of school, school years, colleges are getting out, graduations, right? High school's letting out, school years coming to a close, and summer is almost here. About another month, and we'll really be in the swing of things with the summer. And that's when you've got summer baseball on every night. Okay, we're ramping up OTAs with the NFL. Speaking of, NFL schedules just came out yesterday. So there's a whole lot to deal with. I'm going to try to make this as quick of an episode as possible, although I've got a quite a few pages of notes here, so I don't know how quickly I can get through this, but um, I've got to get done with this. I've got a shower. Um, we've got softball games on the road tomorrow, playoffs, it's do or die, win or go home at this point. Uh, like Al Davis always said, just win, baby. And that's all we need to do to win two out of three. And uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll get it done. Hopefully, weather permitting, um, I'm hoping the rain holds up. The weather isn't looking great. Um, but we'll see. It looks like we have some, you know, clear skies in the morning slash afternoon ish. We're supposed to play at 12. So hopefully we can get at least one of those two games in and we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, it's been crappy weather all day. A lot of this week, it's just been up and down. It's been a terrible spring, a uh, lot of rain, and we haven't really had those great 80, 80 degree, you know, hot summery type, you know, spring days. Um, so it's just, it's been frustrating. But anyway, without further ado, I don't want to rant. I do want to get this episode in in under an hour um, because I believe, did the, did the Rangers hockey game start yet? It's game six. No Sidney Crosby. That game is scheduled to start at seven. It's just after seven right now, so that'll be underway in a few minutes. Um, so that's in Pittsburgh. The Rangers trying to stave off elimination and get the W down three games to two without Sidney Crosby, who's dealing with a concussion or something. See if they can win that, get it back um, to New York, where, you know, where they can get it done to MSG. So without further ado, let's jump right in. All right, we're going to start in the NBA and let's start with last night's game. Luka Doncic staving off elimination himself, forcing a game seven single handedly. I want to pull these stats up because I heard them uh, this morning and they were absolutely staggering. So Luka goes off for 33 points, 11 rebounds, eight assists and four steals last night. Four steals. Okay. That is key because if you look at the stats as a team, uncharacteristically enough, the Suns turned the ball over 16 times. Oh, my God. I don't care who you are. You turn the ball over 16 times. You don't stand a very good chance of winning, especially when the Mavericks only turned it over three times. So, uh, excuse me. Sorry. The... Suns turned it over 22 times. The Mavericks turned it over six times. I was looking at the wrong stat there. So 22 
versus six. That's that's a lot of turnovers, uh, very uncharacteristically, um, by uncharacteristic by the Suns. Um, very shocking. So they'll they'll head back home for a game seven. Um, I knew the Mavs were good. I didn't realize they were this good. Got to give Jason Kidd a lot of credit in his first year. This is now his third team as a head coach. Of course, he took some time off to be an assistant with the Lakers, helped them uh, win a championship in the bubble, and then he came over to Dallas, and he's been coaching up Luka very well. Uh, man, Luka is some player. Just 20, he, well, he, I think he just turned 23, played most of the season as a 22-year-old. And, I mean, he's just been phenomenal. 32.5 points, 9.3 rebounds, and 8.5 assists per game. Redonkulous. And he's only played 22 playoff games in his four seasons. And I think I saw something that he is averaging more points than anyone in the history of the NBA in elimination games. It's like 35 points per game in elimination games alone. And to me, that is just staggering. I want to see if I could, if I could find that somewhere, if possible, just real quick. Um, okay. He's averaging 39 points when facing elimination in his career. That is the highest scoring average in NBA history through a minimum of three games. My goodness, LeBron is third at 33.5, tied with Alex Gorza, or Groza. Uh, this guy looks like he played 100 years ago. It's a black and white photo, so I have no idea who that is. Michael Jordan is fourth at 31.3 points, Will Chamberlain 31.1. And of course, like I said, Lucas scored 33 in game six last night, so that series will swing over to a game seven in Phoenix, that will be on what? Uh, is that on tomorrow? No, that'll be Sunday. Uh, that'll be Sunday, yeah. So we move on. Okay, let's... There was a uh, second game last night. I will get to that a little bit more in depth. That would be the Heat and the Sixers, but I want to um, pass on that for now. We'll we'll swing back around to that. Um, and let's let's talk a little NHL playoffs. I just mentioned the Rangers are set to play right now in a game six. There are three game sevens on tap for this first round. It's been phenomenal uh, NHL playoffs so far. If you're an NHL fan, if you're a hockey fan, this has been bedlam, mayhem, whatever you want to call it. Tampa Bay won in OT against the Maple Leafs last night. The defending champs are not going to go quietly into the night. Um, I don't know if the Maple Leafs really thought that they had this wrapped up, but they, you know, blew their chance. So they're, they'll get a game seven there. Then you have the Bruins winning five to two over the Hurricanes, forcing a game seven back in Carolina. Three goals in the third period put this game out of reach. The Oilers had a huge 4-2 win over the Kings, who blew their chance to clinch at home, no less. That's got to hurt much like the Boston Celtics. I'll get to that a little bit later. The Kings gave up two goals. It was a 2-2 tie. They gave up two goals in the final five minutes. That one's got to hurt. And the St. Louis Blues moved into the second round with, uh, for the first time since 2019, and that was a the year they won it all just before COVID, with a 5-1 win over the Wild. St. Louis will face the overall favorite Colorado, who breezed in to the second round. Some not so great news in the NHL. The Islanders 
Well, if you're an Islanders fan, I don't know if you'd be too happy about this. The Islanders fired Barry Trotz. They missed the playoffs this year, yes. Uh, but first time under Trotz in his three years that they did miss the playoffs. And he's considered one of the best coaches in the league. He won the Stanley Cup as coach of the Capitals in 2018. And then there was contract disputes. So he left the Capitals after winning it all and was immediately hired by the Islanders, Lou Lamarilla. And uh, he won the Jack Adams Award in his first season and took the Islanders to back-to-back -back conference finals and semifinal rounds in 2020 and 2021. Of course, last year they came within a game seven, uh, losing to the eventual champion Tampa Bay Lightning in the conference finals. Both years they lost to the Lightning. Uh, just tough luck. Very tough luck. So he he's going to be on the market for a very short period of time, just 59 years old. He will get scooped up um, immediately. Uh, we'll see, you know, some teams that are in the mix. I saw Detroit, maybe New Jersey. There's a couple teams out there that could use his services. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. I teased this a little bit earlier. Yes, the NFL schedules were released. The Broncos who traded for Russell Wilson in the offseason are one of 12 teams to have five nationally televised games and they lead all teams with three Monday night football appearances. Of course, Monday night football is going to look a lot different a lot different this year with Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. One of these uh excuse me, one of those Monday night matchups for Denver is going to be against division rival Los Angeles, who also have five national appearances. That will be in week six. The Super Bowl champion Rams will host the Bills on Thursday, September 8th to open the 2022 NFL season. Russell Wilson and the Broncos will face, uh, excuse me, will travel to Seattle to face the Seahawks on September 12th in week one, serving as a hugely intriguing uh, week one matchup on Monday Night Football. That's one of their three Monday night games. Cannot wait for that. Um, the Broncos and the Rams will play on Christmas Day. That will air on CBS and Nickelodeon, while the majority of games on Christmas weekend will be played on Christmas Eve. That's uh, on a Saturday, so December 24th, Christmas Eve, a Saturday this year coming up. Uh, week two, Monday Night Football doubleheader on September 19th will feature the Titans against the Bills and the Vikings versus the Philadelphia Eagles. The Titans-Bills game is going to be the first one kicking off at approximately 7.15 on ESPN, and the Vikings will play in Philadelphia at 8.30 p.m. on ABC. I'm not so sure I'm a fan of those overlapping games, um, but at least you get to watch both because if they put one on later in the night, like a West Coast game, never going to get to see it fully on the East Coast. So that's that's a... That's a good selling point there. Um, there will be a bunch of international games this season. The Seahawks will face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at a Lions Arena in Munich. Interesting. On November 13th at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, the Arizona Cardinals will host the San Francisco 49ers at Estadio Azteca in Mexico City on November 21st at 8.15, and three games will be played in London. The Giants have one of those games. Um, you could check out the schedules to figure out the rest. Like, uh, not going to go crazy with this. Um, one of those games, the New Orleans Saints will host the Vikings at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on October 2nd. Like I said, the Giants will play the Packers on October 9th in the same arena. 
which my brother might actually is interested in going there. Not my brother, coincidentally, who is um, getting married to a girl from London, but my other brother, who's a Giants, who's a big Giants fan, um, my brother and his wife. And Jacksonville Jaguars, it seems like they always play in London, um, will face the Broncos on October 30th in Wembley. Okay, so that's that's cool there. Um, all three games, of course, will kick off at 9.30 a.m., so of course we got to wake up early here on the East Coast, but it's a nice little segue into the 1 o'clock games, although I always find myself trying to work out when am I going to eat because I seemingly just wake up right around game time, and then I watch that, and I never want to get out of bed, and then all of a sudden it's 1 o'clock and I haven't eaten anything, so I got to plan a little bit better. Um, as for the local teams... The Jets and Giants. The Jets will open with four straight AFC North opponents. I don't know if that's ever happened before, honestly. Um, and they only have one prime time game this year, a Thursday night game against the Jags on December 22nd, which is interesting because the Jets, from my sources I'm hearing, the Jets are the number one futures bet in terms of over-under win total as of today. The Jets are being hammered on the over at five and a half. And before the schedules were released yesterday, I agreed when these totals came out to hammer the over on the Jets. But I always heed caution when it comes to futures bets. I hate to take futures bets unless I'm taking like, a, you know, a storied franchise where Tom Brady, you know, to win the Super Bowl, which cashed on my $25 bet for $750 a few seasons ago. But when it comes to something like this, heed, caution, wait, and now that the schedule's out, my goodness, as much as the Jets dominated this draft, are bringing in stud players, great picks, you name it, this, that, and the other, the Jets' schedule is a juggernaut. This schedule has them playing the Ravens to open the season, then they're at, that's at home, then they're at Cleveland. That could be a winnable game if Deshaun Jackson is not playing this, this depending on what goes on with the legality situation, suspension, et cetera, with the league. Then they're playing the Bengals, who just went to a Super Bowl in week three. Then they're at Pittsburgh. If that was at home, the whole quarterback situation going on there, I'd say maybe they have a chance. But in Pittsburgh, that's going to be a tough game. Week five, division rival, Miami Dolphins. I can't wait. I just can't wait to see Tyreek Hill run all over my New York Jets secondary. That should be fun. Week six, Oh, uh, where are they at? Oh, yeah, they got to travel to Green Bay to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Granted, they don't have Devontae Adams, but they have Aaron freaking Rodgers or Aaron bleeping Rodgers. Then week seven, they are at Denver. That is a tough, tough place to play, but it's a revamped team. They've now got Russell Wilson. That is, of all the games on the schedule, that is the one so far that I'm guaranteeing as a loss. In fact, I will guarantee both at Packers and at at uh, Denver. Those are the two absolute definitive losses um, for sure. I don't know if they'll win any of these first couple. Maybe, like I said, Cleveland um, at Pittsburgh, mm, maybe against the Dolphins, just division rival, you know, extra motivation, et cetera. You never know what could happen. Well, week eight, they're playing the Patriots at home. So not only do they have to go to Green Bay week six, they then have to travel on the road again to Denver. That's just brutal. And then they have to come home and play um, the Patriots. Week nine, they're playing Buffalo. They have a bye week 10, back to the Patriots. I, I mean, this is a ridiculous schedule. Then they have to face the NFC North as well. You have 
the Bears, you have the Vikings back at the Bills, Detroit, Jacksonville. Those could be two wins in a row. Then you're at Seattle and then at Miami. Whew, what a tough schedule. Um, on the flip side, the New York Giants schedule, week one, they are playing the Titans. They are playing week two, the uh, Panthers. Week three is a Monday night football game against the Cowboys. Then they're playing the Bears in week four, the Packers in London in week five, the Ravens in week six, the Jags week seven, Seahawks week seven. Uh, those last two Jags and Seahawks are away. They have a bye week nine as well, just same as the Jets. Um, Tennessee, I mean, uh, Houston, Detroit, Cowboys on Thanksgiving. That's one of their primetime games they get to play on Thanksgiving this year. Um, yeah, so they have a tough schedule as well. Colts mixed in there. Um, yeah, so it's going to be tough. All right, so we'll see. Over under on Jets is five and a half. I sadly am going to have to say under. I think they win five games. Um, if they could win six, that'll be interesting. That'll be, I mean, not looking at the schedule, I would say Jets could win eight games. But looking at the schedule, it's rough. So things can change. Could the Jets easily win eight games? Yes. Could they win two games? Absolutely. And same goes with the Giants. Um, you know, they're still looking for a quarterback. Baker Mayfield still looking for a home. What's going on? Browns have yet to do anything with him. He's still on that roster. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Let's stick with the NFL for a second. I talked a lot about the Broncos now that they've added Russell Wilson. Um, some troubling news, but I read some good stuff about it today. The girl doesn't want to press charges, ask for him to be released. He's not a threat to her, blah, blah, blah. So Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy was arrested yesterday just outside of Denver on charges of second degree criminal tampering with a domestic violence enhancer. What does all that mean? I'll get into it. The charge is appropriate when a person quote, tampers with property of another with intent to cause injury, inconvenience, or annoyance to that person or to another if he knowingly makes an unauthorized connection with property of a utility. So what does all that mean? Well, according to a police report sub submitted to the Arapaho County Court, the woman told a deputy that things began Wednesday night and that Judy put her wallet and the medical paperwork in his car at their home so she could not get them. She said, basically, she wanted to go back to Virginia. She wanted to leave him, take the kid, go back to Virginia. But she could not leave without those, you know, belongings, whatever medical papers and her wallet, obviously, telling the deputy she did not want to get Judy in trouble, but just wanted her things back. So this is just a fight being petty, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, baby mama drama. Um, according to the document, Judy admitted to locking some things in his car, including baby formula, which bad move that is at a premium right now. Um, so hopefully it was in powder form and it wasn't actually ready to go because it would be melting and going bad in the car. Uh, but because the woman took one of his three, oh, he, he locked this stuff in the car because she took one of his three cell phones and would not give it back. Well, that is a red alert. Um, why does Jerry Judy have three cell phones? That is suspicious. Um, I'm guessing he has three cell phones, so she doesn't find out about it. So she doesn't find out that he's texting or, or 
you know, with someone else. And then he's probably got he's probably got three girls lined up and he's got one cell phone for one girl, one cell phone for another girl and the third one as a backup just in case. This is what these guys do. Unbelievable. Let's see. Where am I at here in this freaking story? Um, okay, so yeah. No physical altercation of any sort took place, but he was in jail without bond just because this weird nature, the laws over there, whatever. But um, he shouldn't face suspension or anything. And then today she did say she doesn't, you know, she, he should be released, whatever. Um, but I have to say one thing, because if I don't say it, somebody else will. We have to clear the air. This is yet another former Alabama player that is in trouble with the law. Another former Nick Saban player that is in trouble with the law, albeit this is in the end, it's not going to turn out to be really anything, but still this is troubling. Of course, earlier this year, it was or last year, whatever it was, Henry Ruggs killing a woman. No, it was earlier this year. I think he had four players at Alabama as recently as March, who were arrested for beating a fellow student unconscious and stealing his money to buy snacks in a vending machine. This is not a, this is starting to become a pattern. And I hate to say it because I don't believe it's Nick Saban's fault. When you are a football coach and you have 50 plus, you know, players on your roster, it's hard to keep track of every single one. You're going to have guys that fall through the cracks. He's not with them 24-7, but he is a mentor. He is that father figure. He's supposed to whip them into shape and get them ready for life. And clearly something is going by the wayside and it's not clicking. Um, I saw a story or a video in which he, uh, Saban was saying that Henry Ruggs, while he was at Bama, never had a single issue. Never once. Well, is that true? Maybe. Maybe there were things that he did that you didn't know about. I don't know. But it, I find it very hard to believe that these players are not having issues under his watch. And then all of a sudden they're just going to the NFL and they're killing people and they're getting arrested and careers are ending here. And in, in the one case that I just said, the four players, they were under his watch because it happened on campus. They weren't you know, graduates. They weren't NFL players at this point. They were full-fledged student athletes at the University of Alabama. And this list goes on. It's Henry Ruggs. It's players currently. It's Jerry Judy. I mean, this, I'm sure if you dig enough, you could find more and more, you know, coaches that this happens to. Because like I said, football is a very violent sport. Some people don't know how to turn that switch on and off. And it leads to violence in personal lives and things and bad decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't want to feel like I'm just purposely or, or accusing or going after one guy solely and Nick Saban. But he is the greatest college football coach basically of all time, you could argue. Okay, Bear Bryant up there as well, Joe Pa, et cetera. But if I don't speak on this, somebody else is going to, and I'm sure they're already doing it. So it's just, it's not a good look for Nick Saban and Alabama football, that much I have to say. Okay, what a thrilling Saturday at the Kentucky Derby. My goodness. Whoa. Um, the longest odds, the horse that was not 
supposed to be in this race 48 hours prior to the race beginning was a late entry and with 80 to 1 odds, Rich Strike reared up the back and beat Epicenter, the odds-on favorite. Unbelievable. But there's some bad news that I just found out. Rich Strike will not race in the Preakness on May 21st. According to the owner, he said it's in the horse's best interests, meaning we won't have a Triple Crown contestant this year. What a freaking joke. Like, seriously. Like, what? I had to do that because it's disturbing. Oh, I didn't mean to do it again. Um, I don't know why that was just playing in a loop. Sorry about that. Uh, but anyway, Rich Strike was the number 21 horse when I turned on the television to watch, because it's supposed to start about 6.52 and it was late, whatever, the, they're getting the horses, they're walking them down the track to get in uh, to the starting gate. And I seen, as soon as I turned it on, I saw uh, this number 21 horse. And I was like, oh, that's my number. I'm born on the 21st, right? My birthday's coming up. I should bet this horse. And of course, you know, didn't have a means to bet it. Yeah, it's through one of these websites or whatever. Um, so I didn't bet it, but I I would have put my money on that horse. Then I saw the odds were like 80 to one. And I was like, ah, okay, whatever. I, that's This horse probably doesn't have a chance. But nope, Rich Strike wins the, the Kentucky Derby, okay? And un unfortunately, the 21 horse is not going to race in the Preakness on the 21st. That would have been awesome. So now we don't get a triple crown, uh, you know, possibility. And Epicenter is probably the favorite for the Preakness, which is coming up on my birthday on the 21st. And it's actually like, how rare do you think it is that the winning horse does not compete in the Preakness? The last time a healthy, non-controversial horse backed out of the Preakness was spend a buck in 1985. Rich Strike, though, will race at the Belmont Stakes. That will be their uh, that horse's next race. But it just takes all the muster out out of the uh, Preakness now, and I don't really care. I said it had the longest odds when it won the Derby at 80 to 1. Only Donnerail in 1913 had longer odds. I believe it was like 90 to 1. Just ridiculous. Okay, let's get back to the NBA. And I, as promised, let's get into that Heat-Sixers game last night. R.I.P. to the Philadelphia 76ers. Philly rats, as we like to call them. You were warned. This is what you get. You lost Ben Simmons. And what did you gain? Jim Harden. The knock on Ben Simmons was that he just never shot the ball. Well, guess what? In an elimination game last night, James Harden shot the ball. Oh, excuse me, Jim Harden shot the ball exactly two times in the second half and then had the cockamamie excuse when asked about it afterwards that, oh, the ball didn't move back to me. No, no, no. You're the point guard. You facilitate the ball. If you want to shoot the ball, you can shoot the ball. That is a load of bull crap. He don't want to be there. He was checked out. Ridiculous. Embiid was playing with a broken face and given it his all, although he ended his own teammate's career by flopping and falling into Danny Green's knee, RIP to Danny Green in the process, career-ending ACL injury. 
my opinion, he could be back, but he was already on the brink of, you know, his career coming to a close. If I'm Doc Rivers, I jump, I nosedive, I freaking dive head first into the deep end with the Sharks just to get away from this team. Get me out of Philadelphia. I want no part of, of Jim Harden and this clown show. The last time they went to a conference finals was 2001. The Sacramento Kings have been to a conference finals more recently than the Philadelphia 76ers. And remember when Joel Embiid once upon a time said, trust the process? How's the process working out for you, Embiid? Ridiculous. And now the, the Daryl Morey ha, has to make a decision to pay Jim Harden and he's gonna get he he's gonna take, you know, the 50 million, okay, uh, for the upcoming season. It's just ridiculous. And then they're gonna pay him another max deal. This guy don't wanna be there. He was checked out. He was making dinner plans at the strip club after last night's game in the third quarter. He's 33 years old. He has clearly lost the step and does not care. He didn't want to play in Houston. He bitched his way out of there. Then he gave up on the Nets. That worked out real great. If you would have just stayed with the Nets and the three of yous would have played in the playoffs, maybe the Nets wouldn't have gotten swept and you would have had a chance to win a ring. It's all about winning, right? You want to play with guys that want to win and then you left Brooklyn, forced your way out of there to go to Philly. This is now his third team. Fans in Philly were booing. This is over. Jim Harden, his career is over. And anyone that pays this guy is a joke. Is a joke. Unbelievable. But good for Jimmy Butler. I'm not usually a fan of his, but I am glad for him because the joke is on Philly. Because Jimmy Butler used to be on the Philadelphia 76ers. He was once a Philadelphia 76er. And guess what happened? Miami offered him a four-year, $184 million deal. And Philadelphia brilliantly decided, we're not going to pay you. You go to Miami. We'd rather pay a younger Tobias Harris to the tune of five years $180 million because we want to keep Embiid and Simmons together. Oh, my God. The most brilliant decision ever. And afterwards, Jimmy Butler was emotional. He was seen shouting, Tobias Harris over me? Coming off the court last night. And I'm all here for it. He took the heat to a finals in 2020 in a bubble, and he's now back in the Eastern Conference finals for the second time in three years, while again, the Sixers have not made a conference finals since 2001. Wow. Brilliant job, Philly. Okay, in other NBA news, the Celtics blew a golden opportunity, and the jawless Grizzlies beat the Warriors by so much it's still hard to comprehend. The Celtics had a nightmare-ish finish that will haunt them forever should they lose this series. I happened to come downstairs. My dad had hockey on, so I, which was bizarre. We don't watch that in our house. And I, so I, but he was doing some other stuff, not really paying attention. So I swapped on the Celtics game because I saw it was like a six-point game, final two minutes. And I swear to God, the Celtics scored two points the final two minutes, and they lost. And I, I'm the reason why. If I didn't turn it on at all, they probably would have won. It was unbelievable. 
here's how it went down. I'm not going to play sound bites and everything else. It's just whatever. The Bucks, they're up six. They allow the Bucks to hit two straight threes to tie the game. Of course, one of them came off an offensive rebound, just killer. Then uh, Tatum got fouled. He hit a pair of free throws, put them up two. Then on the other end, Giannis was fouled. He goes to the line, makes the first free throw. He misses the second free throw that would have tied the game. And I'm like, yes, all they have to do is get the rebound. But guess who gets the rebound? It clanks around and Bobby Portis's big goofy hands find the ball. And I was and he put it back in and they take the one point lead. And I was furious because the NBA has gotten so bad. The officials have gotten so bad that these games are sometimes unwatchable. Bobby Portis caught the ball and was shuffling his feet and and, and pitter-pattering all over the place to the tune of three, four, five steps before he put that ball back in the hoop. It was the most goofy, like Bobby Portis, these are not my words, one of my friends actually texted me that Bobby Portis, like he just, he's goofy. Some big guys are like goofy, you know, around the rim and whatnot. And he's one of those like goofy guys, right? He was, that play was goofy. It it went in the basket, but it was a clear travel. Granted, the Celtics blew this game, but stuff like that just irks me because those are the rules. You can't take a million steps like he did. It was so obvious when it happened, and they don't blow the whistle and call it. And that's where the challenges should come in. Things like that should be able to be reviewed when they're under two minutes. It was just a joke. Um, So they take the one-point lead. This is when the legend of Drew Holiday took over what appeared to be an Easy drive and layup to the hoop by Marcus Smart on a cut. He, they found him wide open in the corner on the inbounds. Um, it turned into a block and a steal by Holiday, who, as he was going out of bounds, then threw it off Marcus Smart, and it was Buck's ball. They would go up three in the final seconds before Drew Holiday. They, uh, they fouled, I think, Pat Connaughton, and then he made both free throws. Drew Holiday, uh, they inbounded to Marcus Smart. He's trying to run up the court, and he gets picked off. Drew Holiday steals the ball right from Smart's hands and dribbles out the clock. Game over. Celtics can't even get a shot off for three. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Budenholzer, he likes to foul in those situations. So I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have got the shot off anyway because they don't want to give up the three to tie. Um, So they were probably going to lose that game anyway. But my goodness, what a blown opportunity at home to take a 3-2 lead Without Chris Middleton, um, the Bucks are on the brink of making it back to the Eastern Conference Finals again and defending their title. They have a 3-2 lead now heading back to Milwaukee. Okay, let's talk about Grizzlies and Warriors. This has been an interesting series. A lot of injuries, a lot of uh, ejections, double technicals and stuff, right? If you didn't know anything about basketball or the Grizzlies and you turned on this game, you wouldn't have known the Grizzlies were playing without their best player. Because without Ja Morant, one of the best players in the league, they put the whooping on Golden State to the tune of 134 to 95. 134 to 95, putting up the most points in the franchise's playoff history. Unbelievable. Golden State is still up 3-2, heading back to the Bay Area. But that does give you some pause for concern. And um, if you never saw the injury, John Morant is likely out for the series and possibly the playoffs. Apparently, 
Jordan Poole grabbed at his knee and they're claiming it was a dirty play and he pulled it for a quick second. And I, I'm very shocked that that caused him to now ha- be out for the seat for the rest of the playoffs. I'm very shocked by that. I thought he was going for the ball. Uh, the first swipe was for the ball. And then the second swipe, he grabbed his knee. Listen, when you slow it down and anything could look bad in slow motion, I don't think it was intentional, but if it was, Hey, that's part of the game. You know, you, it is what it is. Okay, let's get back, talk a little, uh, switch it up, talk a little baseball. Bryce Harper, one of the best players in baseball, has a small tear in his right elbow. This is an interesting one. This is in his UCL, UCL, excuse me. It's the ulnar uh, cruciate ligament, something like that. He won't be able to throw for at least four weeks. Um, and then they're hoping they can start him on a throwing regimen. But in the meantime, thanks to the Universal DH in the National League, he can do that and he can hit, which is very interesting because I hurt myself back in high school. Um, I had elbow tendonitis from pitching and I tried to um, toughen it out and and hit and swing the bat, but it was just too painful to swing. But I'm, I'm wondering if maybe because he throws right-handed as a lefty, uh, because his top hand is getting more stretch and whatnot. Uh, maybe that's why. And the, the right hand that he throws with isn't as much. But still, it, it, it's very interesting that he can hit, but he can't throw with a partial tear. Um, he is still just 29. Uh, the injury actually occurred on a throw from right field on April 11th against the New York Mets. He made a throw from right field to home plate. So, yeah. All right, this is an interesting, a little bit lengthy one. Uh, bear with me. On t- so on Tuesday, the NCAA issued a recommendation that conferences loosen restrictions on who gets to play in conference championship games in football. So apparently conferences were ready for this. And in short, this could mean goodbye to the SEC East and West, the Big Ten East and West, and so on. The ACC could be the first to do this, make uh, remaking its scheduling model by 2023, discarding divisions in favor of a what they're calling a hybrid schedule that will give each school three permanent opponents each season and then rotates the other five or six conference games. This would eliminate long stretches of conference teams not playing each other if they don't have to play a set number of division opponents each season. I like this because in the Big Ten, I think it's always a joke. I say this every time. The Big Ten East in which Rutgers is slate, you know, is put into, you've got Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, and then on the other side, it's like Wisconsin and a couple of, like, you know, Northwest, like a couple other, you know, it, it's it's not as strong. So disband the divisions and you play everybody. Like, let's go. Um, the SEC could be next after that, but we're, we're still we'll wait and find out more when that when the SEC um, holds conference holds its annual meetings early next month. But with the NCAA's suggestions, plus the addition of Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC by 2025, obviously something has to change, right? The three, um, the three to six, you know, model feels likely just like I spoke about. Um, so yeah, the SEC is probably likely going to add a ninth conference game. So lots to take in there, but 
you know, it, it, it's definitely int intriguing and it's something to look out for in the future. All right, let's talk really fast um, about some golf, all right? Let's talk uh, Greg Norman. He evidently one-upped Phil Mickelson. And what do I mean by that? Well, Greg Norman spoke to reporters on Wednesday to promote the Saudi-backed, I don't know if it's this is a Roman numeral, uh, it's the Saudi-backed LIV, you know, league, whatever. Um, anyway, what is that? 50 plus five minus four. What is that? 50, 54. I, I don't know if it's called the Saudi-backed 54 league or if it's literally LIV, which are letters standing for something. So sorry that I don't know this. But anyway, that's not important. The first event for the Saudi-backed league is set for June 9th to 11th, I think somewhere in London. Um, so. Greg Norman was asked about the government's murder, the Saudi government's murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, among obviously other human rights atrocities that he was asked about. Here's the quote. Look, we've all made mistakes and you just want to learn from those mistakes and how you can correct them going forward. Oh, my God. Uh, Facepalm. Hands in face. I mean, face and hands. Hide under a blanket. I don't know what more to say to that. Greg Norman is calling the murder of a human being a reporter. Uh, didn't they shove him in like an oil drum or something and like just dispose of the body or in acid or something? Like, that's not a mistake. Okay. Well, this was after, of course, Phil Mickelson back in February said, Quote, we know they killed Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. No, Phil, this is a one-time, uh, excuse me, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you to make bank because we've seen your gambling receipts and how much you, you're in the hole for every year. In response, the PGA has banned its golfers from playing in the first event. The new tour has plenty of money, but again, at this point, who's going to want to play in it after all this backlash? But if they want to, I don't think that the PGA can ban them because they are essentially like contractors and they could pretty much play wherever they want. So if they were to fight that, um, they don't have to, uh, solely play for the PGA that, you know, they could go and play in this. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, this was kind of breaking news as soon as I was starting the podcast. Let me see if I could find it again. Exactly. Um, well, really there's not much to say except Phil Mickelson is officially out of the PGA championship. That is correct. Ladies and gentlemen, Phil Mickelson will not compete in the PGA championship. Um, so that's, you know, quite shocking in itself. Uh, let's see. Defending champ. Of course, he is the defending champ. He has withdrawn from the PGA. He withdrew, extending his hiatus from golf following his incendiary comments about a Saudi-funded rival league he supports and the PGA Tour he accused of greed. The defending champion did not give a reason. That's funny he's accusing the PGA of greed when he's the one going after chasing the money. But granted, I'm a Phil guy. Like, I love Phil. I think he's awesome. Um, good personality. He knows he's he's so knowledgeable about the game and everything. But, man, 
this is just a whole saga. We, you know, and we'll get the book on Phil and we'll learn some things, but wow, this is kind of fun. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, all right. Okay, back to baseball. Christian Yelich hit for the cycle against the lowly Reds. Oh, God, they've been so bad this year. At, w- at one point, they were 3-22, and 22, the Cincinnati Reds. Well, things got worse on Wednesday when, yes, Yelich, like I said, hit for the cycle against the Reds. It wasn't the first time that Yelich had hit for the cycle either, nor was it the second. But the third time in his career, he's hit for the cycle, and all three have come against the Reds. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's the first player ever to total to ever total three cycles against one team. And the Reds are now eight and 24. Some sad news to report. We lost a legend, RIP to Bob Lanier, the NBA Hall of Fame center, dominated in the 70s and 80s as a member of the Pistons and Bucks. He died at the age of 73 on Tuesday. Um, Tuesday, the Angels played the Rays. They won the game 12-0, and it was a wild game because Angels rookie Reed Detmers threw a no-hitter in this game. It just also happened to be the 12th no-hitter in Angels history. And like I said, this was a weird, wacky game because not only was Shohei Otani given his MVP beforehand, but it was such a blowout that the Rays brought in position player Brett Phillips to pitch in the eighth. And what do you think happened? Some A bit of chaos, right? So first off, um, Anthony Rendon came up to the plate against Brett Phillips, and this is what happened. Take a listen. Yeah, so Anthony Rendon, who is a righty, went up there, batted lefty, and took a pretty healthy cut and swatted a two-run homer into right center. Unbelievable. Hey, it's great news for me because he's on my fantasy team, baby. Oh, yeah, that was in the eighth inning. And it was weird also because Rendon did this while wearing Andrew Velasquez's helmet. Obviously, Yankees fans know Andrew Velasquez very well because he's from New York, and it was a great story last year when he was with them and everything else. He's now on the Angels. He also made the final out of this game, a ground ball to shortstop. He threw out the first to solidify the no-hitter. Take a listen to that. The final out of Detmer's no-hitter. You wonder what he's thinking now, trying to execute this next pitch. The breaking ball hit on the ground is short. Velasquez throw to first. It's a no-hitter. Detmers has thrown a no-hitter against the Rays.
Yeah, so the Angels committed uh, one error in that game, and he preserves, he gets the no-hitter. Unbelievable story for the young uh, 22-year-old. Okay, can we just sit back and take a second to admire the greatness that is Tom Brady? I mean, seriously. This guy is still playing into his mid-40s. He's winning Super Bowls, the winningest player in history, right? Seven rings, just abs absurd. Beautiful wife, family, you name it, right? Who wouldn't want to be Tom Brady? Well, my goodness, the greatness continues because Tom Brady has already lined up his next big gig after his playing days are over. On Monday, news broke. Fox announced that Tom Brady will be its lead NFL broadcast analyst to the tune of a 10-year, $375 million contract. Oh, my God. No broadcaster has ever received more than $18 million. That being, you know, Troy Aikman, who just left Fox for ESPN Monday Night Football. He received $18 million a year, which is in line with the same amount as Tony Romo. That's what he was asking. And not, what, a week or two, a couple weeks after that, Brady is getting $37.5 million a year, and he's still playing, and who knows when he's going to be done. But I heard Fox was not happy when Aikman left, so they said, let's make a big splash, a big move, and they did. And they still don't have a lead uh, broadcaster for, for, their, for the upcoming season, but I'm hearing it's going to be Greg Olson, most likely, former tight end, New Jersey kid, so that'll be kind of cool. But unbelievable, Tom Brady. Everybody says you don't quit your job before you have another job lined up. Well, Tom Brady has another line, another job lined up. It's way more money than he's made in his, you know, in a season in his career. Just unbelievable. Okay, uh, it's official. Nikola Jokic wins back-to-back -back MVPs. A lot of people I heard were up in arms over this, thinking Embiid should have won it. Um, but I don't know how you justify not giving it to him because he put up better numbers than he did a year ago when he won the MVP. He helped his team to 48 wins, 48 wins without Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. Unbelievable job. Yes, Embiid and Giannis were great, but Jokic was slightly better with much less around him, much less. And he is just the 13th player in league history to win back-to-back -back MVP awards. In other news, Monty Williams was named Coach of the Year, so congrats to Coach Williams. He led the Suns to a league-best 64-18, and despite losing CP3, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton for, you know, significant time um, throughout the season. It's well-deserved, considering he narrowly missed out a year ago to Knicks head coach Tom Thibodeau. Okay, back to baseball for a quick second. I don't know if anybody saw this, but in the first inning in Chicago on Monday, White Sox right fielder Gavin Sheets made an erroneous error on a routine flyout. The video is amazing because the Guardians color commentator Rick Manning had basically the reaction of everybody that was watching this game. There's a ball hit toward right field. Sheets coming in. Drops oh. the ball! 
The Guardians will score first as Quan comes home. Into second base is Owen Miller. Are and you Sheets me? just simply botched it. I don't know if you guys heard that, but he said, are you shitting me? I thought that was hilarious. Apparently, so did everybody else. Because, yeah, that's the normal person's reaction. A routine fly ball. I, I, I don't know how it happened. Unbelievable. But this is why sports are so great. Because, and especially baseball, softball, you're in the spotlight, the ball's hit to you, there's no running away, you make an error, everybody sees it. He did later redeem himself, so I do have to give him credit, swatting this long ball. a bullet to right field. This is gone! An absolute missile from Gavin Sheets. The wind was no match. And it's 4-1. to one. Pitching coach comes out and you're looking for something in the strike zone. And that's the way the ball gets out in right field. So yeah, good lesson to be taught there. If you screw up, you make an error, you strike out, whatever. The game's not over till it's over. He came back in the bottom of the first inning and swatted a three-run homer to give his team at the time a lead. They would end up losing the game 12-9, to however. Some interesting beef brewing between Shaquille O'Neal and Rudy Gobert. On Monday, Shaq said on his podcast that Rudy Gobert wouldn't be able to guard him in his prime. To which Gobert, of course, took the bait and said, I would lock his ass up. Newsflash, nobody can lock up Shaq. Just ask four-time DP Defensive Player of the Year, Dikembe Mutombo. No, 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 not in my house. How the 2001 finals went. Shaq averaged 33 points and 15.8 rebounds per game, and Matumbo wasn't even washed up at this point because he had won Defensive Player of the Year that very year. Unbelievable that Rudy Gobert, little skinny old Rudy Gobert, thinks he's going to lock up Shaquille O'Neal. Nobody locked up Shaq. You moron. All right, and finally... The Sacramento Kings have, wow, I'm talking about the Kings twice on this today's episode. The Kings have agreed to a four-year contract with Warriors assistant Mike Brown. Brown has been a head coach three times before this and has a rough task of doing what his 11 predecessors could not make the playoffs. Oof. He is the fourth Warriors assistant to uh, that Sacramento has hired as head coach since, wow, really? The fourth? I know Steve Kerr's been good, but my God, that's that's interesting. Uh, yeah, Sacramento, they're in shambles, so let's see. Of course, Mike Brown, we all know him as the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers in the heyday that was LeBron James. All right, and finally, on this date in sports, May 13th, 1976, the New York Nets won the final ABA championship, defeating the Denver Nuggets four games to two at Nassau Coliseum. The team was centered around, of course, who else? None other than Dr. Julius Irving or Dr. J, who led them to a title two years earlier as well. Later that year, the ABA would merge with the NBA and the Nets would then move to New Jersey where they played until 2012 
before, of course, moving now back to New York and Brooklyn, of course. Um, that 76 ABA championship remains the last title for the Nets. They got there, you know, we know back to back years in 2000 and 2001, and they lost both times. As for Dr. J, well, after they merged, his rights were sold to Philly and he played there. And throughout his 16-year career, his teams never once missed the playoffs. He's one of the greatest dunkers of all time, one of the greatest uh, players of all time. And uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. So May 13th, 1976, that was last Nets championship ever. Pretty, pretty pretty epic. Um, that brings us to the end of the show. Last thing I wanted to mention real quick in terms of baseball. Oh yeah. For the second straight week, the Yankees, my New York Yankees have the best record in baseball. They are 23 and eight, 23 and eight. They are the only team remaining in major league baseball with single digit losses. The New York Mets are right there with them. 22 and 11. These are the two teams with the two best records in baseball. Uh, so it's going well in New York, really going well um, for the Mets and the Yankees. So let's see, you know, uh, Yankees won 15 to seven last night. They were tied up set at seven apiece when I went to bed after they served up a three run homer. And next thing you know, I wake up and it's 15 to seven Yankees win. So this team, you know, it's not the Yankees of old. It's not the Yankees of last year or a couple of years ago. This team is legitimately getting it done. And uh, they're 23 and eight now. They have a commanding uh, four and a half game lead on Tampa Bay. They are 12 games up on Boston. Boston's in last place. And uh, as for the Mets in the NL, the Mets are up uh, six and a half on Atlanta and Washington is in last. They're up 11 there. So it's going well so far for, for New York sports right now. Let's double check the hockey. Oh, end of the first. The Rangers are down two to nil, two nil there. A uh, lot of hockey left. Let's see what's going on, what they could muster up, if anything. Boston and Milwaukee Celtics and Bucks. That's game six in Milwaukee. Milwaukee looking to close it out. Bucks up early 15 to 14. And then tonight you've got Golden State trying to close it out in game six. Um, that game's on at 10 p.m. And again, no John Morant for the rest of this series should they continue on to a game seven. Um, all right, guys, that's going to wrap this thing up. Got it in just under an hour. There was a lot to, to go over, a lot to talk about. Um, so I apologize, but I think I did a good job. Um, and yeah, I got to go shower. It's already eight o'clock. Got to watch the Yankee game, which is coming up. Um, and get ready for tomorrow's softball games. It's elimination day. Win two, we move on nationals, lose two, we go home, split. We come back on Sunday for a deciding game three. So should be fun, should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it and, um, let's get it. With that being said, guys, uh, this is the Pody. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully it doesn't rain too much. Get some, some much-needed rest. And I will see everybody next week. This is the Pody signing off. <laughs>